Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. If, you've, if you're new to the show, then I'll introduce myself. I'm Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from Cat Swamp Road in Warren County, New Jersey. And if you've been listening to me, I want to thank you so much. And if you're new, I want to thank you for listening. And then you know who I am, right? But I guess it's the proper protocol with a podcast, which is basically a radio show, that you introduce yourself to the audience each time. So that is why I do it, even though we're all kin, we're all family, we're friends, right? So uh, I want to thank you once again for joining me today. And we're going to have a little bit, well, I always say that a little bit of a different show. I don't know if it's really different, but I'm not going to have a topic per se. What had happened was that a old friend of mine uh, reached out to me and um, we we talk quite often so it's not like we're coming back into each other's lives i used to work with him years ago about 32 33 years ago with the, in the oscilloscope company a real good guy and then uh he went into different careers whatever he does he's excellent at and uh we always kept in contact with one another and and uh, Christmas cards and multiple phone calls throughout the year, maybe once a month or something, if not more often than that. So he called me the other day, and he said a friend of his has a repair shop, and uh, Joe is actually in the uh, DEF business now. He's probably, I would have to honestly say, not because he's a friend of mine, he is probably the most knowledgeable person on with practical practical application and different problems in the field or potential problems with diesel exhaust fluid in i would have to say north america and that's not an exaggeration and uh, i wanted to get him on the on the road podcast but he he doesn't uh, he doesn't like that stuff he doesn't like to be on the radio or the podcast and uh, he also has a excuse me, an agreement with his company that uh, if he was to do any media, that has to go through authorization and, you know, that corporate garbage. So, so he, you know, he, he, part of him wanted to do it, but then part of him doesn't want to do it. So I said to him, look, it's no, I said, no problem whatsoever. But anyway, that wasn't now, that was a couple of years ago. So he calls me up the other day, and he has a friend of his that has a repair shop because he was in the automotive business uh, for many, many years, Joe, that was. I said I met him with the oscilloscope and emissions analyzer company. He was a salesman, and uh, the, the, the guy has a problem. Well, his friend now has a problem to get my thoughts together. His friend has a problem with this Dodge truck, a Ram, or you can't call it Dodge anymore, you got to call it Ram, it's not that new, but it's already a Ram, so I don't know. Maybe a 2013 or 2014, if I remember correctly. It's a three-quarter ton with a 5.7 liter Hemi. And I think it had some mileage on it. I mean, it didn't have a million miles, maybe 100, 200,000. I don't, I don't remember. It really moved at this particular point. And his friend wanted Joe to run this past me. So uh, that's what, the, uh, so he told me all about the truck, and that is going to be the uh, material for today's Idle Chatter, because it, uh, it's a situation where the fix made no sense whatsoever. 
and lots of times we will run into this with machinery of any type and i'll give you my thoughts on it and then please feel free to reach out to me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and let me know your particular thoughts after you hear this but i'm going to tell you the whole story and as i understand it what ended up fixing the truck which makes no sense whatsoever and uh i'll also add where i think the diagnostic routine went wrong and i also will add what i think is possibly happening here but i cannot i i don't know what's happening all right all i know is that the truck is fixed and then interestingly enough there was another truck like that that somebody else that uh, i don't know how where the other truck was and had the same issue and the same thing fixed it which then again makes no sense so but it was in a different shop but i guess these two people knew each other like i said all of that's really moot but it's uh it's good data as far as that aspect of it is concerned so that is what we will discuss today and i'll give you the background of what i know about the truck what was told to me through my friend so i'm getting it not even second hand i'm probably getting a third and fourth hand but the but the, all the people that i'm dealing with are credible and uh so i i'm gonna fly with what i have so that basically is it and we will be doing that today and let me see what else is going on if anybody's going to the national farm machinery show please send me an email at you know you know the address hot rod farmer at farm machinery digest.com god willing i am going to be there wednesday and thursday the first day and the second day and god willing leave friday to come home back to the farm here and if you now uh, keep in mind that i do not have email on my phone all right and that is by design so i don't have email so what you would have to do is email me prior to next week uh before i leave for the show and send me an email and i could get you my cell phone number and you could text me when you're there or call me whatever you want to do whatever is convenient and then we could we could choose to make a meeting place and um we could meet and shake hands and if i would be honored and i mean that sincerely honored to be able to uh you know they say uh, uh, put a face with the name right it's the old saying well i like to put a put a face and learn about a set of ears that listen to me so you don't know what i look like i don't know <laughs> what you look like but there'll be like a it'll be it'll be a uh, a lot of fun and uh, we get the other shake hands and uh, love to learn more about you and uh, and that's it so we could communicate so please let me know and we'll make a schedule and we could we could uh, get to know each other a little bit more so hopefully we can do that with at least a couple of you if you end up attending and uh if you end up so whatever we'll, we'll make it work all right that's basically it and i'm not going to the tractor pull that they have at the event i know a lot of people go to the tractor pull i don't go i it's not that i, I mean i would i love tractor pulling i mean how can you not love it right you're a farmer you're a hot rod farmer i mean my uh so i mean but the thing is that you know i'm going to the show for business not for pleasure and the tractor pulls in the evening and the hotel well i gotta make the reservations right after i do this podcast i've been i've been uh kicking that can down the road for like two weeks now hope i could still get the same hotel i was at last year which i stay at i stayed at the hampton inn and uh it's right across the road from the ford louisville assembly plant uh where they make the um, super duties 
I mean, you don't really see the plant. I had, a, I had, I don't know, a six to five, five, four or five story up room, and I was able to see the smokestacks in the plant. But I would have to say that as the crow flies, it's a half a mile or a, maybe not even if, but there's a major highway there, so it's not like you could walk there. And, uh, but not far from the Louisville plant, and I think they call it Hampton Lake Way. So there's a little pond there, looks like a retention pond, but I guess that's the address. So if anybody is going and staying at that Hampton Inn, then you, then we could definitely meet up for breakfast. All right, so that's not going to be an issue whatsoever. And the reason why I don't go to attract the port, I start to say, is that I'm going to the show for business, and uh, I'm a person who goes to bed early, wakes up early, and where the hotel is, it's not a million miles away from the, from the facility. I think they call it the event center there. Um, it's, but it's awkward to get to it at night. And, you know, you go to those things, and you always end up staying longer than you would hope to. And then you're getting back to the hotel room 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. And I get up at 4.30 in the morning. So, and then, like I said, I want to be on my A game every day to enjoy the show and not, uh, and not be exhausted because I was... Uh, over at the uh, tractor poles if the hotel were closer and i could leave the tractor poles earlier but if you've been to that event you know that parking lot is huge and uh it could very easily uh extrapolate out into a nightmare uh, as far as i'm concerned because you can't find the car and uh and then if all the traffic is letting out at the same time and then it's all backed up so I try not to do that. I try to not mix business with pleasure, call it monkey business, right? So, um, but I would love to go to the tractor pole, but this doesn't work. There's too many strings attached for me. But for you, that's a different story, right? So that is that. And let me see what else I want to tell you. I guess that's really, <clears throat> that's really about it. I, uh, I'll share something quickly that... Uh, I know, and you're probably thinking in your mind, you don't know how to, sh- you don't know how to share anything quickly. It always goes on for 10, 15 minutes, and you'd be 100% correct. <laughs> and my wife would attest to that. So if we happen to go someplace and run in, not and meet a stranger, let's say at a company or something, and uh, I talk to people, so come on, we'll show you the operation. And and then when I thank them to leave, uh, I uh, so thank you very much, and uh, this and that, and you know, and people will be cordial, say, oh, come again. And my wife chimes in and says, don't tell them that because you'll come back again. He'll definitely take you up on it. So um, so I don't know how to do anything quickly as far as talking is concerned. But I, a few, man, I don't. Really, it was probably in this. It was in the summertime. It was in the summertime. I won't go through the whole story because I think I kind of told you part parts of it about six, seven months ago. Yeah, it was in the summertime. It was before our whatever sweet corn harvest we had, which wasn't much, but we're grateful for. Thank God for that. Is that I received a letter from through my column I do in Hemmings Muscle Machines. Ask Ray, and. 99.9% of the letters they send me where I receive is through email. And uh, a lot of them are very poorly written and no disrespect, but but if, I know I have a lot of muscle machine r- listeners reading. I mean, not a million of them, but uh, there are some. But just take this as a, as a footnote, 
All right. If you're ever going to write a letter to somebody looking for some technical advice, I'm not saying that you have to go get a degree in English. I'm not saying that you have to have that, that you have to have it written like a like a secretary. But you know, these people write these letters to me, and I'm saying it respectfully. I mean, oftentimes they're one long sentence. They abbreviate things, or they use slang, or they, or whatever. It's just you can't make head or tail out of it. Uh, I had a person just well a couple of weeks ago write to me, and this is, and I just I wanted to truly help the I want to truly help the people. I mean that sincerely. But I sent them the email. I emailed them back, which I've never done before. Usually, I'll just try to do the best I can to glean what they're saying, or sadly, just just erase the letter because I can't spend my whole life trying to to edit a letter dip. Hemmings is paying me for my technical knowledge, not my secretarial skills. Then go to Catherine Gibbs and learn how to be a secretary. So uh, the thing is, I actually sent it back to this guy, because he seemed desperate. I said, you know, I, I said, no no disrespect. I said, I can't make head or tail of what you're talking about here. If, you know, please rewrite this letter or do something, and... Uh, I'll, I'll try I'll try to help you the best I can <clears throat> so <clears throat> so the reason why I'm telling you that is that most of the letters come and then you know if you are going to write a letter to somebody as far as something is concerned a tech Q&A column or, or anything else one of the things is that you know, don't be too verbose if it's not if it has no, and here it is from a guy who goes on for an hour and a half from a, from a on a podcast right that say don't be too verbose but give the person the pertinent information and don't lead them around and try to have it written as best as you can and uh, even if it's an email these these emails are worse than the handwritten letters so anyway <clears throat> so to get back to what i'm getting to is that at, at Hemmings receives letters mailed to me that are usually handwritten or typed, and it send, they send it to Vermont to the main office, and they collect them, and every couple of times a year they send them to me in a big envelope. And I, I really wish that they were more proactive with that, but it is what it is, and I can't do anything about it. Because... The worst thing in the world, and it's so common today, and I've voiced this before on this on this podcast, is that you know people don't get back to people. And though I would love to to communicate with everybody and help everybody to the best I can, or to the best I can, it's all I could do is the best I can. I mean, be the, I'm not saying it's the best; it's the best I could do. And if you never hear back from somebody and they, you write, you take the time to write them a letter, whether it's an email or whether it's a handwritten letter and then, or a typed letter, is that, you know, you, you become jaded to the person. And rightfully so, he said, geez, that guy never even got back to me. I would read his column for 25 years and I thought he was a good guy and he's really a jerk, right? And I said to, I, I begged Hemmings <coughs> to put a, excuse me i'm just going to uh kill a mic for a second hello i'm back i uh i i begged them to i'm not going to use the word disclaimer but to put something in you know in the in the masthead of the column or where where the address is to contact me i'd say that how much i would love to respond to everybody but we don't have that much we can't just do everybody's letter and and what have you so uh so anyway you get these letters and some of them are almost a year old and uh and this and then again for the most part the people that do write them by hand or type them and put them through the mail 
for the most part are older. And you know, you feel you know, I feel I feel badly about him. I mean, here it is. I need, you know, even if I want to answer the letter, it's and it's perfectly typed and beautiful. It's like a year later. And then also what happens is that I, the email is so much easier for me to work with because I can cut and paste it into a file. And I used to go through the, the written letters and I it is take me hours to 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 literally type them in because I have to read it and type it and whatever. It's a nightmare. So anyway make a long story short last year i received this letter and it was from a prisoner and i do receive over the course of the year i receive i i've all my my history i've said i might use a better word to use i have received numerous letters from prisoners uh in different jails throughout the country i don't remember where and because uh, you could tell by the address but this person was different and he wrote a very nice letter had a number of questions to ask uh, ask me and uh, it was typed and it was legible and it was intelligent and the questions made sense and it was questions that were that were pertinent it wasn't because lots of times people write you write you letter oh where can i get a you know a thermostat for a 72 chevy you know they and they don't want they want you to do all the homework for them they don't want to go, oh, go over here to this store on Maple and Main Street. They have it. I mean, and please know that I'm being respectful. I'm not being disrespectful. And then he, I saw from the envelope that it was a prison. And the prison happened to be in New Jersey's Trenton State Prison. And he, uh, near the end of the letter, he asked me to not judge him because he's in prison. And he says he, he didn't commit the crime, that he's, he's not unjustly imprisoned which is uh most of them claim they're unjustly imprisoned and if they mention that whatsoever and uh he said that he you know did what they what he's in jail for but he wanted me to know that no one got hurt whatsoever nor was his intent ever to hurt anybody so what had happened was that i was going to respond to i wanted to respond to him and i wanted to as a christian tell him i'm not going to be judgmental i'm not going to judge you whatsoever and i was going to send them my response back through the mail obviously i had to do it through the mail and i was going to just put it in a blank envelope with no return address no nothing he he doesn't the people who write to me unless i they read something else or listen to the show do not know him in new jersey so this guy didn't know he's in jail he didn't know he was in new jersey and uh so I sealed the envelope, and this was back in the summertime. I sealed the envelope, and I was walking away from my desk, put a stamp on it, and I was going to go put it in the rural mailbox by the road. And the uh, I it was a surreal experience because I had the same type of experience happen a few times in my life, but one particularly strong experience like that was back in 1991 in Salt Lake City uh, in Utah, across from Temple Square there, where there was a man, uh, I mean, uh, he looked like, I mean, he was obviously homeless, and he had a, a dog with him, and uh, he was sitting on the street corner, and uh, he wasn't really, he wasn't asking for money, but he had a cup there or something if you wanted to give him some money, but he wasn't asking. I remember the dog's name was Daisy, and he used to call Lazy Daisy, and so uh, basically what happened was that I gave him a couple of dollars and I, that's how I knew her name. And, uh, and 
and I started to walk away from him, and I got maybe 100 feet, 120 feet away from him, and it was the most surreal experience. I was since, It was one of the most surreal experiences in my life. God is my witness, I could not walk anymore. I couldn't walk. It was, it was just like I couldn't move my legs. I felt like I was on a big bungee cord, and I just reached the end of it. And I went back, and I said to the man, "I'm not. This is just a life story. I'm looking. I'm not looking for any any accolades or any praise or whatever. But as a Christian, you're supposed to share your experiences with those that you have the opportunity to tell them to. And the Lord stopped me. It wasn't me. The good Lord stopped me. And uh, I turned around. I went back to him, and I said, to him, "I was just here. I said I gave. Uh, you may have heard this story before. I." I, I gave you a couple of dollars and said, look, I don't care why you're here. And I said, I don't mean that I'm not judging you and I want to know why you're here. But all I know is that you have absolutely, I have a pretty good idea that you have little to nothing and a little to nothing you are sharing with this dog that you that was a stray that you adopted. And she's a beautiful little dog. And so I, I whatever, we'll, I, I we'll leave it at that I, I, I took care of him by God's grace, and I prayed for him and that dog for probably 10 or 12 or 13 years afterwards. Lazy Daisy. And uh, so anyway, I getting back to the letter from Hemmings, I had the same type of experience. I'm walking away from my desk. I had the envelope sealed, the stamp on it, no return address, go put it for the mailman, right? I couldn't walk. I walked maybe 10 or 15 feet from my desk to, to go out, couldn't couldn't walk anymore and i heard a voice in my heart in my soul and you know when you hear those voices from god you don't you hear them but you don't hear them it's a thought that's put in your mind and it just said trust him and give him your name give him your address and contact information give him your give him your put it give him your address i forgot sadly you, you have those experiences you're so surreal that you don't remember them verbatim and I went back to my desk, and I added an addendum to the letter, telling him that that I was I was not going to. I had typed the letter, so I'd saved you know I saved the word document, which is another important thing because normally I wouldn't save the word document; that I would just erase it. So I did save it. I went back in and altered the letter. I uh, got a new envelope, a new stamp, got a, my return address label, and I told them in the envelope in the letter exactly what happened i wasn't going to trust you i wasn't going to trust you because anybody could tell me anything but i had this voice in my soul that told me to trust you and uh i put my business card in there and then less than a week later i received a beautiful letter a type letter getting mail from him and so ultimately uh <clears throat> we never met each other yet but he's a he's you know he's a great guy and uh you say he's a great guy he's in prison for 30 years well his ter- his sentence is 29 years and he's got 20 years into a third for 30 year sentence so and he's in and he lives in a cell that's four foot by seven foot so i said to him, that's not even the size of a piece of plywood because plywood is four by eight and he doesn't go out of the cell <clears throat> he chooses not to he just goes twice a week to take a shower and then uh 
and whatever, he stays in the cell all day long because he says, I don't want to interact with anybody. I don't want to get anything in trouble. He says, there's some bad people in here and says, I, I just want to, I don't want to do anything. So anyway, ultimately we talk. He's able to talk on the telephone. They bring a phone to the prisoner's rooms and uh, I guess it's a wired phone and they plug it in. And we talk every Wednesday and at at 5.15 and every Sunday at 5.15 and we talk for like 45 minutes he can only talk 15 minutes at a time and then he has to recall me and he's not allowed to call a cell phone and uh so we've uh, become very very good friends I was supposed to meet him uh go to the prison which is going to be an experience for me I've never been in a prison before and he said he said to me Ray it's going to be an experience so I said that's all right I said we're brothers we're brothers in Christ, and uh, I said it makes no difference. And uh, and I I was supposed to go January sixth, and I got sick, and then the next day he got COVID. So hopefully, God willing, I the prison only has for his I don't know ward or section whatever they call it. For some reason, they have very limited visiting hours. It has to be Friday evening at six o'clock, and you have to call and make an appointment. And uh, so hopefully in March. I was supposed to go in January. Got sick. He got sick with COVID. Was in. Got sick. COVID in prison. Who the heck knows? But uh, but the reason why I'm telling you that is that I, you know, if you look with your eyes, and this goes into the diagnostics of this Ram truck, because it's it's that we're going to be talking about. It's really not that much different. But if you look with your eyes and look with spiritual eyes instead of worldly eyes, the idea that it's a miracle because he had just written when i say it's a miracle i mean it was the hand of god because he had just written that letter based upon the date of it and it got the hemmings they put the other letters in a big envelope and sent it to me like three days after he got it usually those pauses those letters sit there for a year before they send them to me then it got to me all right I opened it up, I saw the letter, opened it up, I'm saying immediately within a day or two, chose to respond to him, uh, chose to respond to him. My heart was moved by God, not by me, to respond to him. Uh, was not going to contact him. I mean, I was not going to give him my contact information. Couldn't move, or couldn't walk the bungee cord again away from my desk. Put the contact information, send him the letter, all right? He, it, it was a Saturday when I put it in the mail here in the farm. He got it, responded, wrote a letter, responded back to me. By Thursday, I had his response. And subsequently, I've learned with the prison mail system because it goes to a post office box. And then they have to, so, so there's no sense of urgency with, with the prison to get the mail to these people and uh and i'm not critiquing that or saying anything about it or not saying it you know passing judgment is a better word for me to say that but and it happened and then he wrote a letter and mailed it to me and i got it by the following saturday so basically in essence in seven days time all of this happened and plus he wrote a letter to vermont and, I, and so it's really it was really the hand of god but you know the take-home message here is that that uh you know in life you I, i'm look i mean he did what he's supposed to do i mean he did what he what he's in jail for and believe me i'm not the type of person that thinks that people shouldn't go to jail i'm no liberal right oh and uh whatever whatever he did he did but i but the thing is that how 
I'm tr- I'm trying to to formulate my sentence to to tell you to convey what I want to say to you is that it's how God works in such mysterious ways that he's a he's a car guy he had a Mustang 50 Mustang he had a Grand National and 11s already he had a, a, a SHO Taurus he, I mean, he's a car he, was, he, he's, he is a car guy that was a car guy he's a car guy he's read muscle machines for 20 years and I, I'm so honored and that that the good Lord used me to contact for him to contact me to use a, me, a medium as far as Hemmings muscle machines I mean that's crazy I mean and to to turn into such a, a friendship uh and hopefully we'll get a chance to meet soon and shake hands and such a friendship and uh, and he, he couldn't get a hold of his mother the other day his mother's still alive she's 84 years old he'll be almost 70 by the time he gets out of prison 69 or something sadly and uh he, he talks about what he wants to do when he gets out in the cars he wants and and uh we talk about that and and he enjoys it but he couldn't get a hold of his mother so he called me and uh it was thursday and i said geez I, uh, jeff is calling so i pick up i said i thought honestly that his mother died because he's very afraid because his father died while he was in prison and couldn't see him so and so I said to him, Jeff, says, no, I, said, I can't get a hold of my mom. I know she's okay, but there's something wrong with her phone. Can you text her for me? So uh, I said, sure. So I texted her right. I said, give me the number. I'll text her right now while you're on the phone. Read the text to him. And uh, so he said, oh, he said, I'm, uh, he says, you don't know how important this is to me. He said that, he says, my friendship, and I'm not looking for any, 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 praise or anything whatsoever please i'm just i'm just sharing he says you're giving me a connection to the world this guy has had nobody other than his mother every once in a while come and see him in 20 years and he the first letter he has received was the letter i wrote back to him so it's very sad so i guess to put any make any any clarity to this why i'm telling you this is that we don't know in life how we could influence somebody, how we could help somebody, how we could bless someone's life, all right? And we may never know it in this particular instance. Jeff has blessed my life. He's a, a Christian man. He's praying for me. He's praying for my family. He's praying for Donald every day. Every time we talk, he hangs up the phone, says to me, I want you to know where I'm praying for you and Charlotte and that the good, good Lord will bring Donald home. So it's just... Uh, from a car magazine crazy so thank you for letting me share that with you so let me get to the dodge now and and uh all right so the problem with this ram was that it's a 5.7 liter hemi in a in that 2500 ram so medium duty whatever you call it heavy duty they call them and the truck had a misfire and suppose and the and i'll tell you what i know and then i'll critique what i know all right so that you could become a diagnostic uh exercise for you so my friend joe calls me up says the truck has a misfire cylinder number five and uh looked at the plug looked at the injector looked at everything and it's flagging a misfire code because remember it's it's new enough that it has obd2 and obd obd2 is has the ability to to identify a cylinder if it's misfiring and say misfire cylinder one and three four or five whatever or if the misfire jumps around to different cylinders to say random misfire so the misfire was flagging cylinder number five 
So they did it. They did the normal stuff. To, you know, pulled the plug. I looked at the plug, changed the plug with the wire, whatever. All right, it's not coil on plug. I don't believe it is. I might be, uh, whatever, whatever it is. So, so they did. They did all that to no avail. The truck has a misfire setting. Setting a code for misfire on cylinder number five. And then they'd say, okay, um, maybe they. I don't. Maybe they bought this truck. I really don't know. Uh, it's. It's. I guess it's important, but not important that fact. But I don't have any more information beyond that. And so, for some reason, oh no, the truck had a junkyard. That. The, that's what it was. They either put or somebody put a junkyard motor in this truck and that that's what i knew it was something in the junkyard motor had a misfire in it and the motor that they took out i don't know how to spun bearing or something but ran fine had a knock in it or something uh so what happened was that they said okay maybe it's got something it's a junkyard motor maybe it's got a, a bad valve or it's got something whatever so what they basically did was they took the the parts off the old spun motor spun bearing motor right which ran fine just knocked and they took the heads off of it the intake manifold and the camshaft and lifters and put it in this junkyard motor in the ram all right and those rams are not that easy to work on because the way that hood is that the, the motor goes halfway under the cowl so they did all of this said, all right fine there must be some go you know something hiding in there we can't see it so uh they do that which is not a five minute job obviously they start the truck up i'm not laughing i mean selling the five misfire and it was there was a misfire you could feel it wasn't something like was like it was a, a ghost a false code or something so selling the selling the five misfire they don't know what they don't know what to do with this truck so i don't know what else they did but that particular point for some reason they thought maybe it has a restricted exhaust a plug catalytic converter so it's a v8 so it has a y pipe two uh, two oxygen sensors and then the oxygen sensor going in and out of the converter right for conversion right so what they do is that they put it up in the air in the lift and they pull out an oxygen sensor they think they pulled it out the one on the bank of cylinder number five so they pull out the oxygen sensor right so now the truck has a little bit of an exhaust leak right because you have, and that's a very good uh method to determine if you have an exhaust restriction because by taking out the oxygen sensor you're making a pretty good size hole in the exhaust and if it has exhaust restriction that's causing a problem that that's a, the easiest way for you to determine whether it is whether you should pull the converter down or the muffler down or what have you so they did that which is a proper protocol i'm just gonna get a drink of water here excuse me and the proper protocol <clears throat> and they they start the truck up oh he says got exhaust leak truck runs great no misfire no misfire code nothing so they said geez all right what we did is created exhaust leak so <clears throat> what basically happened was that they said well the converter must be plugged catalytic converter so they take the catalytic converter down and they said they could look through it beautifully 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 all right so they said well geez you know we don't say anything wrong with it but we'll put a new converter on so they put an aftermarket converter which is a good aftermarket because it's junk aftermarket also it's like a 600 hundred dollar converter 
they put the converter on the truck, the ram, put the oxygen sensor back in, take the scanner, erase the codes, start the truck up, it's beautiful. No misfire, no the codes, no nothing. Runs perfectly with the new catalytic converter on it. Right, so so this person contacts my friend says because joe's a good diagnostician also says geez you know i don't know what's wrong with this maybe you could talk to your friend this makes no sense whatsoever and does make no sense to me whatsoever all right that the converter even if the converter was plugged you're not going to cause a misfire all right and so but the but the truck in two that well i shouldn't say in two ways in a partial way responded like a plugged converter because it what the misfire code and the misfire went away when you took the when he took the oxygen sensor out and caused an exhaust leak but that should not i mean when i worked in the buick deal when i was a young guy in college he used to have a bunch of plugged catalytic converters and, and on carbureted 307 ozenbiel motors and buick full-size buicks and what used to happen with them is that the purge valve used to go bad and the diaphragm in the purge valve used to go bad and used to suck fuel out of the bowl of the carburetor that car would run fine it would just run extremely rich and would plug the converter and so and you would get these cars in and eventually they'd come in on a tow truck because they would have no power whatsoever and sometimes they would if the person kept trying to run like that they'd foul the plugs but if they didn't they would start and run and it would idle fine it almost sounded like the timing was retarded on it they would idle fine but if uh but it didn't want to take any throttle you go to rev it up even under under no load it would never misfire and if the converter was had some flow through it then you could actually take it and drive it into you could drive it to the dealership but it probably won't go more than 45 or 50 miles an hour but I don't like a baby. Sit there, boom, 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 boom. I don't like a baby. All right. So the thing is that. Plus, when they took the converter off this truck, he says you could look right through it. He says I, I could see the sunlight through it. He said this. So now I'm going to stop there. I'm going to divest for a minute. So I said to Joe, it had a code. Did it have random misfire code? Or did it have? He said no. It was always number five. All right. So I said, and did it have any converter? now there's two things that could happen with a catalytic converter you could lose it could become inefficient which would be then it would flag a code on obd2 and says obd1 could care less about the converter or it could care less about it and i would flag a code for converter efficiency which means the converter efficiency code and you know the, the guys i know have a lot of people who listen who are diesel mechanics uh, work in tractor dealerships farm equipment those construction you know and and on tier four emission control engines you have these codes to set that identify efficiency all right so specifically like with the scr that you don't have the proper conversion rate so the thing is that but so obd tools set a code for efficiency but efficiency has nothing to do with the flow rate of the converter it's the chemical reaction that's happening in a converter whether it's on a gasoline motor this ram or whether it's on a tf4 diesel and a combine or a peterbilt or whatever so an efficiency code simply means it has nothing to do to 
to identify a flow restriction, it's identifying the conversion rate. And on OBD2, I believe you need to have a 95% conversion rate or better. So when you look at a catalytic converter, so he's looking through it with this gentleman with this ram who's fixing it. He's looking through it. says, the converter looks beautiful, clean inside. You can see sunlight through it, right? You put it up to the sun, you see right through it. You see the monolith. And now that monolith could be coated. So let's say you had anti, you had a head gasket go or whatever. It could be coated, and that coating will insulate the monolith from interacting with the exhaust gas so the converter's efficiency will drop down dramatically but it will not be a flow restriction for the engine so in that particular instance taking the oxygen sensor out and creating an exhaust leak is not going to make a hill of beans all right but also a converter that has low efficiency is not going to cause a misfire engine to run poorly all right so so now we have these 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 two things that make no sense all right so now so i'm gonna so i said to him did it have a converter efficiency cody's and, and joe said to me to the best of my knowledge it did not all right it only had a misfire cylinder number five so that basically is where that diagnostic ended so they went and they put a new catalytic converter new aftermarket converter on put the oxygen sensor back in the truck runs fine okay what are the possible scenarios here that would cause that we can't deny that when you take the oxygen sensor out and create the, the exhaust leak then what would happen is that the uh the system is going to go open loop and what open loop means is it's of course it's a PID loop, proportional integral derivative, right? It's a closed loop system. So when it sees the oxygen sensor is disconnected and out, it's not going to it's going to go to a fixed fuel rate. It's not gonna it's not gonna it's not gonna look at the oxygen sensor to, to be the guide of whether they're rich or lean or not. It's gonna go to a fixed pulse width on the injectors. All right, so that's basically that. So now you could say, okay, man, maybe he had, but I've seen this before, maybe the truck had an injector that at short pulse width was very lazy, lazy to respond. They call that the rise time of the injector. And it had there's something that's called a dynamic flow range. And what dynamic flow range on a fuel, electronic fuel injector means, it's called, it's, it's, it, dfr dynamic flow range is identified as is how far the pinto needs to move away from its seat so like for if you were thinking of a valve in an engine how far the valve needs to move out of off of its seat and in a song that so it unshrouds and the same thing is with an injector so you have what's called a dynamic flow range and a lot of things could affect the dynamic flow range because if the injector is very dirty and has a lot of carbon on its pintle, then it's going to have to pintle's going to have to move further than the, the than the designed dynamic flow range. So think of it like opening up a faucet on a sink. You twist the knob when you first start to open, it dribbles out, and then when you open up an unshroud, all right. Let's say it's an old, it's a type of sink with a washer in the in the faucet, not like a a mowing with a cartridge, but same thing. All right. So you have to unshroud whatever is controlling the water flow to get before the flow gets to be proper and i'm not going to say maximum flow but it gets to have a proper flow 
pattern is probably a better word for me to use all right so and the other thing that could happen with an injector other than it being dirty is that over time the magnetics get lazy so what happens is it takes longer it's lazy it's tired it's old like an old person getting out of bed takes takes longer for it to respond so now we're halfway through that event that the cylinder should be fueled and the injector just go oh here's the fuel now okay right it's like an old person or an old animal old dog trying to get up and going so so two things will impact the dynamic flow range weak magnetics or a dirty pintle that means that it has to lift further in you know, because even though to a to the human eye it looks like the injector it, it it has to travel like a poppet valve in the cylinder head or just that obviously it's not traveling like you know a half an inch so so I've, that could cause a, a misfire specifically at idle because what happens is that the pulse width is at, the pulse width at idle is very, very short, or shorter, I should say. And if, it, and if it's lazy or dirty and can't get into the dynamic flow range, it's going to dribble fuel, the cylinder's going to be lean, and it's gonna have, it could very well have a misfire in it. And that's the same thing like with a diesel, even, I mean, a, a common rail diesel with electronic injectors, same dynamics, all right, more pressure, a lot more pressure, but same dynamics. And also with a mechanical pump line nozzle, these are a little bit different because that's opening against spring pressure. So they call it a pop-off pressure. But if the pop-off pressure is wrong or it's not, uh, then it's almost that injector needs to pop off for it to be able to to fully pop off for it to be able to atomize the fuel properly but an electronic fuel injector of any brand any type any type of system diesel or gasoline tf4 right diesel is going to respond the same way with the the dynamic flow range so now but the whole light, so you could you could make a, I've seen this before, you unplug the oxygen sensor, not create an exhaust leak, and be, and if it's just on the borderline of entering the dynamic flow range or right there, or it's real dirty because the pulse width is longer with the oxygen sensor disconnected when it goes into open loop, slightly longer, all right, that it, it's, if it's right at the cusp of, of, of be the cylinder being too lean, or then you would see that in an idle a little bit, idle a little bit better but to be so bad you know there's a difference between an idle variation in an engine and a misfire and the way obd2 you say well how is it determining a misfire well the way obd2 determines a misfire is it looks at crankshaft rotational speed between events so it has a cam sensor and a crank sensor so that the processor knows which cylinder is going to fire next and it looks at how quickly that next uh it's usually a sine wave but it could be a square wave how that next pulse is probably a better word for me to use comes for the next firing event so the thing is that if the engine misfires then that cylinder is going to be slower to have a firing event to the next one so it looks so it measures the distance not the distance the time excuse me to go that distance for the, between the firing events of the crankshaft and that's how it determines a misfire and that is why the early obd2 cars when they came out in 96 would go over a railroad track or if the guy lived out in the country and it was a washboard road they would set a misfire code and usually a random misfire and because the 
the, the, the tires would be going up and down, the suspension would be loading and unloading on a railroad track or a washboard road, and then that would basically cause the engine speed to vary, all right? And the engine speed is varied by the crankshaft speed, but the crankshaft speed between events was being varied because of the road surface co coming up and down and loading the tires and unloading the tires, and then all they basically did was they recalled, well, not recalled, they had all those cars come, and they reflashed the ECU to put more of a parameter in it so that when you go over a railroad track or if you live five miles down a washboard road on a ranch, that it doesn't keep saying the engine is misfiring. So, so I could see that happening. All right, but then... So disconnecting the oxygen sensor would be evoking that, all right, if that's if it's dynamic flow range on the injector. But then, you know, it doesn't need the exhaust leak. We say, oh, the guy, he just disconnected it and he took, the, took it out so it doesn't, whatever, instead of having it hanging there. So, okay, fine, so we'll give that. So at that particular point, the next thing, that probably should have been done and i'm not faulting the person for this whatsoever because it's easy for me to sit here you know in front of a microphone and tell oh, you should have done this monday morning quarterback this right but if you ever run into that condition first disconnect the oxygen sensor electrically now if you would have disconnected it electrically instead of pursuing an exhaust leak to see if it has a restricted exhaust which is diagnostic protocol was 100 percent correct all right for restricted exhaust then we would have still gone into open loop and we would have said oh what's happening here is that we don't we we we, we must be a, an injector issue all right but so we don't have that data because it got skewed it got thrown away because of the taking these oxygen sensor out and causing the exhaust leak so now you go put a new the catalytic converter physically looks fine does not identify the conversion rate remember that that's an only airflow you're only able to to qualify the potential to move exhaust gas through the converter by looking at it you can't tell whether the monolith is coated unless you see some sort of pink or orange and then get a drink of water here all righty <clears throat> excuse me so now he puts the new converter on it all right and that was probably something. So, well, put a converter because the only thing we found was valid. Puts a new converter on it, puts the same oxygen sensor back in the same cylinder, I mean, same pipe, connects it up, and the misfire is gone. So, makes, as I said, makes no sense whatsoever. So, this is what I think that they did wrong. Now, number one <clears throat> is that, and like I said, you know, as I've said many times in this show, when I used to get called in to diagnose cars for Allen test products and whatever, the thing is that I wasn't as much as a hero as the people thought they were that I was, and I used to tell them that that when you change when someone by the time I got the car, they changed a lot of stuff. So, so the thing, well, we put a new car, we put a new this, we put a new that, right? So, so the thing is that so even though I could I could qualify that on the oscilloscope. The thing is that you know I wasn't I'm I'm not as uh, you know when you come into the game at the at the last inning and you tell a guy what to do and you happen to win you're not a hero you just happen to be at the right place at the right time. So I was more of a right place and right time than hero. But I did use to and to my own not tooting my own horn I did have a much much better understanding and methodical approach. I didn't throw parts at stuff. 
But the thing is that for what I the mis, a couple of mistakes I feel they made at that particular point was that, and I'm not saying I wouldn't have made that mistake either, by no means, right? What I would have done is put, I was I would have done something to uh, see whether what was, I would read the pulse width and inject the number five. And the reason why I'm saying that is that why would, uh, let me back up because otherwise it's not going to make any sense to you whatsoever. The thing is that, is it, is it possible, and this is theoretical, all right, because I don't know what fixed this truck, and he don't know what fixed this truck, but it fixed it, and it fixed another one with the same problem. Is it possible or that, and yes, it is possible, so we live in a world, so we're going to live in a world of possibilities and a world of probabilities, is that OBD2 is interested in protecting the catalytic converter. That's its whole its whole purpose in life is to connect the collect the protect the converter. Now, did Chrysler or whoever they were called at that particular point? Did they go and if they saw catalytic converter inefficiency, did they go? and have the algorithm in the computer because it always killed number five to shut the injector off on number five to create a dead misfire for the person to get the vehicle fixed because one of the criteria with obd2 is to make the vehicle when and the same thing with tier four on a diesel truck or a tractor or combine whatever the whole idea is to make the vehicle the engine performs so poorly that you are forcing the owner or the operator or the consumer whatever whatever qualifier you want to identify them at to get it fixed so the thing basically is did the con did the ecu have <clears throat> have a converter efficiency co- code in it nobody mentioned that it did was that injector shutting off because remember is that if you unfuel a cylinder on port fuel injection carburetor is completely different all right on port fuel injection so if you go to an engine right same thing with a diesel if you disconnect the injector electrically tier 4 diesel and you don't fuel that cylinder you're going to have no increase in exhaust emissions because you need to have fuel in the cylinder to have some semblance of combustion or a lack thereof of combustion all right if you had a lack thereof of combustion you have a high hydrocarbons emissions which is unburned fuel if you had some combustion then you'd have high hydrocarbons but wouldn't be as high and you'd have some and you'd have some carbon monoxide partially burned fuel and in a diesel you'd have a lot of particulates but the thing basically is is that if you shut the fuel off by shutting that injector off then you'd have no rise in tailpipe emissions whatsoever which is what the epa is concerned with and the engine would run poorly and you would force the person to get it fixed or looked at or what have you because of it's running so poorly so now <clears throat> the question is 
and I can't answer this, I don't know the answer, this is a potential thing, is that did this truck, but it came in with no, no, it had a rod knock, right, put a junkyard engine in. <clears throat> the thing is that did it have, did for some reason, and I, I mean, look what, I mean, you know, with this computer stuff, just like, you know, today, you, know, you watch the news, you don't know what's real or not, right? They make CGI, they put all these images together, they do this, they take this from this, they take the B-roll from the news and say, this is in Ukraine, and it was really 10 years ago in Lebanon, <clears throat> excuse me, so you don't know what's real or what's not real. And I'm not saying none of that is happening, but you really have to try to have a discerning spirit. And so did Chrysler come and say well well, instead of flagging a converter efficiency code what we're going to do is we're going to kill cylinder five now why are they killing cylinder five maybe the dynamics of the firing order or way the airflow is through that engine or they'd have to kill one of them all right so the thing is that we're going to kill cylinder five but then i believed excuse me the mistake that the person working on it didn't, maybe they did or maybe they didn't, is that did anybody, I I had, my impression I got is that they had some sort of scan tool that read codes and all they basically did was plug it in and say cylinder five misfire. Did they follow the Chrysler diagnostic routine? I would say probably not, all right? So, uh, so if Chrysler used a dead misfire, to trigger to be triggered when the catalytic converter efficiency code should have been triggered because they knew they wanted to a lot of toyotas have catalytic converter efficiency and they run fine on new jersey here they can't get to inspection because the surface engine zoom light is on and it's a three thousand dollar fix and the people the car runs fine so are they did chrysler do something like that and then if you were to follow the routine but if you just look at it would be like looking at a soil test, right? <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm just going to get a drink here. <clears throat> if you only look at <clears throat> potassium on a soil test, then you're only looking at potassium, right? You're not looking at phosphorus. You're not looking at nitrogen. You're not looking at micronutrients. So the thing basically is, and a lot of people make this mistake, and that's why I'm saying it to you, is that they go, they, they use a, a scan some sort of scan tool to identify a code. It so comes up misfire, cylinder five in this particular instance, and they run to the spark plug, they run to the wire, they run to the injector, rightfully so, right? But possibly if they would have gone down the, the Chrysler diagnostic routine, if they were able to find it like in a Mitchell's manual or something, it may steer you in a slightly different direction and say that it's a catalytic converter efficiency. And is why didn't the code come up that i don't know maybe chrysler doesn't have a code and they're waiting for you to find the buried treasure in the flow chart now some people may be saying well you're all you're all uh, you're full of it hot rod you're you're looking for flying saucers in the sky i'm not looking for flying saucers in the sky but i have seen things like this many times over and uh i'll give you a an, it, it's it's not a it's not a apples to apples example but believe it or not <clears throat> when 
when General Motors came out with the feedback coppers, using this as an example because it's engine management, all right, in the wiring harness between the ECU and it was part of serial data, you could read it, it was called an E-cell. I don't, I don't think anybody ever told me why it was called that. Maybe it was an enrichment cell, E-cell. And what basically happened for the first five or 600 miles, this E-cell, and they were on carburetor cars, would cause the feedback carburetor to run a little bit richer than it was supposed to run. It was supposed to run stoichiometric 14.7 to 1. So maybe it ran 14 to 14 1, 14.0. All right, it was so it lost some converter efficiency or whatever. But for some reason, they this it was deemed that they needed to do this during the break-in period. And then at about five or 600 miles, uh, this E-cell would actually burn out i mean it would self i mean it wasn't going to self-destruct like in a, like the tape in an old mission impossible episode remember they used to go into the phone booth or someplace and then the reel-to-reel tape would be in there and shh all that all that great stuff is gone right there's nothing like that anymore on tv anyway so uh, it would it would disintegrate right so this e-cell would burn open you had no evidence of it and the fuel the fueling of the engine would go back to a correct, go to a corrected 14.7 to 1 instead of a 14 to 1. And likewise, uh, many years later, they had the converse of that. They had uh, General Motors, had maybe other car companies had it also, but I was very privy to General Motors uh, and very well versed on it. And they had the most advanced engine management system, them and Ford. Uh, and then Ford surpassed them. But anyway, with the EEC 4, and uh but general motors had on it was 1991 92 throttle body three 350s 5.7 liters in full size i think they called them b b bodies back then and uh so that was the caprice the buick roadmaster and the cadillac fleetwood and what they did is that they had part of the calibration was called quasi closed loop and i'm not making this up i had a tech one so i was able to see it if you didn't have a tech one you would not be able to see quasi closed loop and what quasi closed loop meant was that at a very steady throttle and a certain amount of load what the metric was for the load i couldn't tell you so let's say you're going you're going across uh very flat land and you you got a very you're very good you have with the cruise control you're very steady throttle you're going 65 miles an hour whatever they can be going 90 miles an hour all right what would happen it would see this and it would start to lean the mixture out to like 16.7 to 1 all right for fuel economy so so that was so instead of 14.7 be up like i think it was around 16 16 points to one or was substantially leaner than stoic at 14.7 all right and then if the thr- if you climbed the hill and the low it was this advanced algorithm and enabled these cars to really get get phenomenal fuel economy for their size and mass uh under the under this under the proper conditions and it was called quasi closed loop so what would happen is those engines got older and things started to degrade and then people didn't maintain them you'd have a you'd have a car go into that into quasi closed loop and it would start to buck or do this to do that and people were blaming the lockup and the torque converter 
They tell you, talk of her, bad lady, you need a new transmission, lock up car, and they put spent thousands of dollars putting the transmission in here that it did not need, a torque converter that it did not need, and they took out a beautiful hydromatic transmission, and they put a junky rebuilt hydromatic transmission, convert torque converter in, and it didn't fix the problem, because the problem was valve the carbon deposits on the valves, and there's a, uh, it's what's called a tau, T-A-U, we won't get into what it means, but it's what's and i did a show a while back on this maybe a year or two ago on the fuel puddle and it's not a puddle like you would think it's a fuel film to maintain the fuel film and then um the dfi gen 7 we had a tau table on that and that dfi gen 7 was actually based on a ford eq4 ecu uh eq4 eq5 probably more eq4 because eq5 was more obd2 but anyway and it had a tau table in it so this this quasi closed loop had a tau table in it and the, and the and the and the throttle it was throttle body so it wasn't a true tau table with fuel puddle but it was a modified tau table but anyway we'll leave it at that i'll just confuse you so anyway so what would basically happen is that the torque converter lockup would be blamed and they would do this in those cars the people would say were unfixable right and it wasn't unfixable so it was that they were looking in the wrong direction and the thing is that that tau table uh or the quasi closed loop i should say was only available to be read with the gm tech one scanner which i was blessed to have so let's go back to this ram is it possible that he has a scanner this person working on it that had a that did not read it because that's one thing you got to keep in mind when you buy a, a code reader or a scanner lots of them are mickey mouse i mean they may not read all the codes no matter what the brochure says on the, on the on the package or whatever they may not read all the codes they may not read everything correctly so the thing basically is at this particular point as they get ready to close what i if i would if i would do, do the major thing that i would critique on their diagnostics and i don't know these guys from a hole in the wall my friends are they're good mechanics and i'm sure that they are and don't and you know don't take this as holier than thou i've got lit i got led down the wrong path many many times in my life all right with diagnostics but the only thing basically did is is that i tried to use that to learn from it and i just didn't write off and say it's voodoo or it's magic or something or it's from outer space that uh that excuse me that that's happening so i would always you know it may take me five years and to this person's credit he is reaching out to different people to try to see what's going on so the thing is that if they had a scan tool that either could have read it wrong all right could have read it wrong like my my wife's zx2 right 1999 it has an evap code all right has an evap code and i have this cheap little scan tool you say you got junk i do have junk because i have i have the i am blessed to have the access to uh to excellent very very high quality expensive scan tools through having good friends that allow me to use them if i need them and i don't need them all right so i have this cheap little scan tool that was given to me a number of years ago for a magazine article 
some, and it, it gives you some serial data and OBD2 and reads codes. Well, my wife ZX2 has an EVAP code, EVAP problem. It's got a leak someplace. And the EVAP system on most vehicles, uh, that early fuel evap that's that's the evaporative emissions that the uh the the lines the that vapor lines from the gas tank and to the charcoal canister and what have you in the purge system so it's i mean something to cause old right so i got a cracked line a little leaking and uh i if you go back in the archives i did a podcast on evap systems a long time ago and most evap systems check the check the evap they it, you don't know what's doing it all right it checks how's it check it it pulls a vacuum on it and it shuts it off it's very complicated i'm not saying that you know it, i just hit the microphone but uh so it does it and most of them do it all right between three quarters of a tank and a quarter of a tank of gas and then given the right driving scenario and there's an algorithm for it. everything is an algorithm you have to be whatever 50 miles an hour for 3.4 miles they come up with these times and at 2.6 seconds and, and so when you geez i'm hitting everything here i'm getting excited and then <clears throat> and then and it goes to and it tests the evap system so the thing basically is, is that if you have an evap code and you never let the gas tank in most instances go below three quarters of a tank you go you never set the you never set a code for it you go right through inspection all right even though it's got a nail it's got a, a cracked hose for the vapor lines so basically what happens is that my wife says before she had her escape surface engine soon light comes on i pride myself i never have surface engine soon lights on my cars all right i mean they they don't light up for me because i, I don't let that get to that point and so the thing is that so i said i got this cheap little scanner it's telling me that i have a cam phaser code i forgot what the number was i said a cam phaser code thing runs beautiful right so i said i I I can't believe it's a cam phaser so then i so i raced dump it's good for dumping the code all right so it dumps i dumped the code i said all right hunt and drive it and see what it is it's going on it's not going to get you stuck right so she dries it for i don't know a month or two months or whatever it is and then got the check engine light on again right so look back it's all cam phaser code so i said this is crazy so i went to my buddy's shop borrowed his five thousand dollar scanner that read properly all right and and it's an evap code and subsequently i never fixed it because i can't find the vacuum leak what i need to do is smoke the smoke the system a friend of mine has a smoke machine but i don't have the time to land and eat the car and and look at that it's not i mean it's not a problem so uh i said when it gets down to a quarter three quarters of a tank fill it up and the light will never come on and for three years the lights never come on so anyway but you know just be so the take-home message here as they get ready to close hour it was hour and 10 minutes that you know confirm what you're reading if you have a buddy that has a better scanner than you confirm what you're reading do not just take get a code and run with it and say oh misfire cylinder five right i mean granted the engine was misfiring all right all right i did a show a, a couple of weeks ago about think talking 
think talk your way through you cannot be a mechanic on anything today without having some sort of factory diagnostic routine because the factory because you can't just guess your way through it or oh, i think i'll do this okay i'll do this, this i guess i'm not knocking anybody all right that you have to have access to some factory diagnostic root, routine for it and if i would have to honestly say at this particular point i may be a thousand percent wrong but and you know even so oh, this guy's got a snap on scanner is four thousand dollars all right fine wonderful all right is it the right you know this stuff is so complicated today, and that's why it's a terrible business to be in it's so complicated today that you know if they have the code in there and the code is off by one digit for that year ram it reads it wrong but i'm making an oversimplification of it i mean i'll tell you a quick story if i never shared this with you before years ago i mean this is back when i was working for, i mean this is back in the 80s and working for alan test box we had the smart engine analyzer which they hired me for and it had this automatic test cycle i may have shared this with you before and uh, went through this automatic test routine that told you prompt you do this do this snap the throttle do this it would kill the cylinders by itself everything right and a lot of guys would buy this machine it was quite expensive at the time fifty thousand dollars back 35 years ago almost 40 years ago so it wasn't cheap i mean you could bought a cadillac for twenty thousand back then or a corvette and then lots of times and there's a lot of gear stations repair shops they'd have the customer standing there so anyway so what happened was that this one guy calls up and or he said i was doing a it was called a, a complete systems test or a false i think complete systems test he says i was doing it. lady was standing right next to me all right i don't, don't remember what kind of car it was it told me to snap the throttle so and why it would tell you to snap the throttle it would look at the vacuum drop off on the exhaust and it would look at the kvs of the spark plugs under load right and then it would determine to see how the plug was firing under load and then it would flag something for you so sometimes they ask you to snap the throttle twice if you didn't snap it you had to go vroom, you had to go if you didn't like that because you needed to see the rate of change of acceleration to spike the uh kv demand and see the vacuum drop off so the guy snaps the throttle right the, the lady's standing he's looking at the uh, impressed as anything the machine comes up on the screen it was those old green crt screens right it says i can't use the word because i'm a christian man and this is a family show but it told it says go be fruitful and multiply with yourself <laughs> the guy couldn't believe it he's like I don't know. the lady goes ah she's screaming right and it flashed on the screen long enough for you to read it and then disappears so he tried again wouldn't do it so what happened was to make a long story short he calls the office he says the machine just told me to go eh, be fruitful and multiply with myself and right in front of the customer <laughs> and we thought the guy was lying because maybe you didn't want to pay for the machine right like putting putting the a, a dead fly in your, your dessert right it used to be used to see in the old abbott and costello movies and the three stooges right not to pay well ultimately then we used to get we got reports from around the country that there was a whole set of circumstances how many tests you a whole bunch of criteria that some this was in the early days of computer programming and some guy was mad at the company and he put that bug in so when the right conditions were met it told you to go be fruitful and multiply with yourself so the thing basically is is that 
you don't we don't know at this level what the chrysler engineers did they didn't tell them to go be fruitful and multiply with himself but what they what how they went around and without the chrysler diagnostic routine so the so basically the the ambiguous areas here was the scan tool reading it right they sounds like they didn't follow any semblance of all of the chrysler diagnostic they wait on it that's that's number five misfire right so i person and i and i personally think that it was a converter efficiency code and it was programmed to kill cylinder five because it was always number five kill cylinder five uh why did it when he took the oxygen sensor out and caused the exhaust leak why did it stop killing that cylinder i think it did that because it was now put back into open loop all right nobody said whether it misfires when it's cold or if you just electrically disconnect the oxygen sensors and i think his he went down the wrong diagnostic routine because his scanner led him in the wrong path and i think that it was just like a while back i told you a story with my little fiesta that i had carburetor cleaner in there and started to misfire and do everything because it was sucking it out of the manifold and, and all the crazy stuff it did so personally this is not voodoo all right the catalytic converter fixed it and the only way the catalytic converter is going to fix it all right is if it was a converter efficiency code and chrysler deemed that they're going to kill cylinder number five because if you shut the fuel off shut the injector off if you were to put a noid light in there and see that or, or put a test light in series and see if it shut the injector off that that's what i think i may be a thousand percent wrong if anybody listening has more information on it but i bet you he was led astray because he didn't follow the routine and it's a and it's what's a forced condition to have the person fix the vehicle and everybody who's listening who has an obd2 not obd2 tf4 diesel in a semi in a combine in a farm tractor in a sprayer if you have something like this come up then you better 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 follow the diagnostic routine and i get your hands on it first before you do anything and it would pay for you to have the dealer with their scanner whatever equipment they have read the trouble code on i had another friend of mine he had a toyota rav4 all right he'd go down the road with it it would start it would it would go down the road and all of a sudden it would start to buck and like anything and like he was shutting the drive and it would be it was all-wheel drive and it would keep cycling in and out of all-wheel drive so it was it was it was shaking the whole vehicle and the all-wheel drive light was coming on and the check engine light was coming on the service engine light was coming on i said to him geez ronnie i said i never heard of that before i said we got to look at the well i wasn't gonna look i was just asking my advice all-wheel drive system maybe there's a bad vehicle speed sensor bad connection something and he brought it to toyota and the guy said to him no it's got a bad oxygen sensor so the guy says to him so he he said i brought the car to toyota i had to leave it there they said they put it's got a bad i said a bad oxygen sensor so he goes that's what they said they put an oxygen sensor in it he raised the code and it was 100 percent fine so obviously toyota when it because they knew that the people would ignore the oxygen sensor all right 
but they when when he ignored it when at one particular point it would cycle the all-wheel drive in and out that made the vehicle undrivable almost at anything more than 35 or 40 miles an hour be like bang 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 like he was shutting the ignition off and 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 when he went to go pick it up he says yeah just for some reason they do that and the rav fours when the oxygen sensors go bad they shut the they they keep the bang in the all-wheel drive in and out so that's personally what i think has happened with this ram i think it was a it was a missed it was it was good intentions but i think they got the wrong direction and they took the wrong direction on it and i'm not saying that i wouldn't have done that either but please you have a new tractor you have a new combine you have whatever most likely if it's a car or something you'd bring it back to a dealer under warranty but do not discount that it is a computer and just like the allen smart the sca smart engine analyzer told the people to go be fruitful and multiply with themselves unless you have that diagnostic routine from the manufacturer you are not going to be able to figure that out no matter how smart you are or good you are all right so that is and if anybody knows anything more about this particular condition with the ram trucks please reach out to me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com i thank you for listening and i want you to know that the hot rod farmer is born for you the american farmer and rancher my beloved america have a blessed day and take care bye bye <laughs>